Hello to all my people, and if you're listening to this podcast, you are most definitely my people. Welcome to another episode of Botch Bots and Chair Shots. We still have high hopes of delivering quality wrestling content, but at worst, we'll deliver mediocre wrestling content. But we'll sprinkle in some Shark Week facts and meme tweets, you know, so we still get over it. I'm your host, a chef by trade and a mark by choice. I am the Will Gray, and I'm glad to be here with you on this journey. And today, that journey will be our superstar showcase. Remember, here at Botch Bots and Chair Shots, we're calling in the ring from all the angles. Are we filming or are we just. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I got my buddy Bobby Mack here with us once again, the man with the yellow shoe, the yellow shoe guy. Bobby, what's up, brother? Hey, how are you? Uh, yes, we are recording right now and uh, video. Say <laughs> uh, <like>, what? <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> um, so just kind of finishing the conversation that we started the last few times we've been talking. Um, you and I have covered the Shield, and then we covered the Wyatt family. Now we're going to kind of combine the two. So just kind of looking at the contrast between them, they both started in NXT. They both moved to the main roster. Then they both had separations between their teams. So uh, let's kind of take a look at the similarities there. So uh, take the first bet. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of the similarities, uh, I think that when they came from NXT, you know, they were, they had a clear direction. Um, They were over with the fans right away, both groups, uh, whether you booed them or cheered them. Um, And, they collided with each other and they kind of, they kind of fit each other pretty well. You know, even though the Wyatt you'd say are the guys, you know, a little out of shape or a little out of shape compared to um, the shield, it was almost like they were polar opposites, but they were being drawn to one another. And I think that's one of the great things about the group, uh, about how the groups interacted with each other as well. Um, you had really strong talkers uh, with, you know, Bray and with Dean Ambrose at that point uh, being able to lead the charge. And then, they just matched up really well. The three guys, it just seemed like they were going to be a natural fit, like Dusty and Ric Flair. Do you think the comparisons between the two had with their when they were coming through? Because if you look at that NXT class from when Wyatt and all of them came in, like that whole class was stacked from top to bottom. It had Wyatt, it had Bo Dallas, Rollins and them, I think had been there a year or two, maybe, but not long. Like that NXT class coming through, they were stacked and have had multiple world champions. There were groups like 3MB, the Wyatt family, the Shield. You had guys coming all the way through that process and, you know, multiple, multiple world champions. Yeah, you know, um, it's funny when you talk about that groups or those groups, because um, you would think with multiple world champions, the Wyatts would be in that conversation. But especially when you compare them to 3MB. But I mean, the fact is... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the no, I'd say, yeah, the, the fact is, though, that 3MB has at least two-thirds of them have been world heavyweight champion, and the Wyatts only had one champion. And, you know, I think the closest they came was when Harper won the United States Championship. You know, he was still – that's still a step down from the world championship. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's yeah. surprising because when you, when you see what he developed into with Brody Lee, you know, he, he was potentially a world champion. I think that we lost him early. Obviously, agree. Everybody says that. But when Luke Harper was in WWE, he was a world tag team champion and he was a United States champion. When he transitioned over to AEW and he came out as the leader of the Dark Order, he was also a mid-card champion, uh, dethroning Cody and becoming the second TNT champion. I feel like had he not passed so soon he would have absolutely been pushed into the the championship picture i feel like it would have been him and omega looking to dethrone moxley not just omega by himself i feel like the three of them would have played a program together to figure out who was going to dethrone moxley and take that belt 
Yeah, and you know, I think and he he would been he would have been an obvious tie-in with Moxley because of their history that they had in NXT, the history that they had in WWE. You know, being these two groups, you know, just kind of comes full circle. Um, you know, it seems like the it seems like the Shield, no matter what direction uh, of they were, uh, whether they were a tag team, a uh, three man, or singles, always fa- fell into a battle with members of the Wyatt family. So let's just go ahead and uh, digress and move ahead in the the conversation here and look at Bray Wyatt. He's the one right now. He's the the biggest wild card of the whole group. We can obviously look at uh, Luke Harper, Brody Lee, rest in peace. Um, I feel like that his career goes without saying. Eric Rowan is kind of uh, staying stagnant in the indie scene, so we'll just kind of bypass him too. No disrespect to that, but right now just discussing the big the the big three, so to speak, with WWE, AEW, and New Japan. I feel like those are going to be the, the three we talk about most with the people we have uh, on the card tonight. So looking at Bray Wyatt, um, everybody seems to think that he's moving to AEW. He'll probably be uh, making his debut in the next week or two. So how do you feel about him moving to AEW? And what do you think about the possibility of him being in there? How would you book Bray Wyatt when you got him on your card? I say you go after Moxley right away. Um, you go after Moxley. Um, I think the secondary thing you do with Bray is, one, he's got to have somebody telling him yes or no, because he's very creative. Um, some of the best cinematic matches has been have had him involved. Um, the Fiend, that character, you know, inside the Playhouse, that was mainly him producing. Um, but I think you got to be careful because if he gets in there and he starts getting too creative and too much, he's going to lose that aura. Um, kind of like when Matt Hardy first debuted there and started teleporting everywhere. Um, that's that's going to be the, the big thing with Bray. I think you put him in there. He goes with Moxley. They have a great, you know, feud again. They reignite their feud from years past. And then in that time period, I think you can separate Matt Hardy from the weird group that he's in now and then recombine Hardy and Bray because I think they really did have a good chemistry with each other. And the way they were able to get those two odd, odd characters over with each other, um, I, th- I think they've, they've got good chemistry and I think they'll play off well with each other. Do you think if uh, Wyatt makes his debut, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, if uh, Wyatt makes his debut in AEW, do you think they'll go with more of an Eater of World style gimmick? Or do you think they'll go with that dark fiendish style? Because they won't be able to use the fiend, obviously. But do you think they'll go with that split personality, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde? Or if they'll just go with the old like Cajun Swamp Master, like backwoods, dark soul, like all of the the mystic kind of stuff that Bray Wyatt represented when he was the eater of worlds character versus the fiend character with the Firefly Funhouse. Do you think that I guessing that's what I'm asking long winded is the eater of worlds a better fit for AEW with that backwoods, Louisiana swamp King kind of look. So you're ruling out Husky Harris completely. I think Husky Harris might be spent with CM Punk being there. The whole Nexus thing. We could have a Nexus reunion. Bo Dallas is a a free agent. Bo could come in. I mean, they're, they've yeah. got, yeah. Was it Hagen? Yeah, and that's, was it Hagen and that's something that they've been talking about too, is that they've been talking about the fact that, you know, him and he wanted Bo Dallas to be part of his group in WWE. And for whatever reason, the powers of B just wouldn't let it happen. Um, well, have I you think, ever seen Bo Dallas work? Hey, he's a former NXT champion. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess so. But so is Sami Zayn and he's also dead in the water too. 
True, true. Um, I don't know. I I thought Bo's I thought Bo and off subject, I guess. I thought Bo Dallas, I thought he had a good little run with the um, you know, the the happy guy and all that kind of good stuff. But I also think that his uh B team had a chance. Like I, I thought that was that's the best I'd seen him and the best I'd seen Henning um in either, I think, their careers. Uh so I think really it's more about, you know, the push because you know, you can look at guys like Moxley, for example. I don't think Moxley's a great wrestler. Um, he's not really, even, you know, he, he's a good entertainer. Uh, but at the same time, if you really put John Moxley in a match, are you really going to get a five-star match out of him ever that doesn't involve tables or some kind of gimmickry um, to get to get him over, to get the match over? Do you think that Moxley's always going to have that King of the Death match mud style wrestling mantra that he's that he's always been kind of attached to. Do you think that's always going to be his thing? Because when he got the WWE, they kind of tried to take that away from him. When he came in as the lunatic fringe, they kind of gave him that edge to being that kind of death match guy. But WWE, they would never let him do it because the whole PG thing. Like they got to keep everything like you know like really easy. They got to watch what they do. Do you think that? Like he's always been that person or do you think he just can't work? I think he's always been that person, but I also think he does it because it hides his work. Um, I, you know. I think that Moxley as a whole, when you look at him and we'll just go ahead and roll into him and we can come back to Wyatt if we want. I feel like Moxley's only thing that he really has going for him now is his mic skills. The dude can cut a promo, but his matches are all falling very flat. They all do the same things he does. You know, he's got like three moves that he does. He finishes with a double arm DDT. The paradigm shift is great. One, you're not Cactus Jack. And two, if you've got guys getting super kicked in the face with thumbtack tennis shoes and they're kicking out at two, how are you going to convince me a DDT is finishing the baddest guys in the business? Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's the problem with, you know, modern wrestling is the fact that things that used to be finishers are no longer finishers. They're just mid-card things. And I know, I know people are going to go in here and say, well, a clothesline used to be a finisher or a body slam used to be a finisher back in the day. I get it. But when you see something devastating like a DDT, when you see something devastating like a pedigree, um, those kind of things should be finishers. It's a blunt force to your head, just like a blunt force to your back when you go through a table but now a table spot's just the middle of the match roll over and then you give the guy a table spot well 62 year old sting went through a table uh the natural dustin Rhodes went through a table um fuego del sol recently went through a table you've got uh roman put somebody through a table a table used to mean something when i was younger and i was watching wrestling i used to remember how important it was when somebody pulled a chair out pulled a ladder out or pulled a chair out I always thought those three things were super important and they were usually saved for big time matches or pay-per-views. Now it seems like every single show you have, you have a chair, a table, a ladder, some kind of like furniture being brought in, but there's no real direction to what they're doing. It's all for cheap pops. Yeah. Like, like you can look at like the earlier, I think it was either late 80, I think it was like 89 when Terry Funk uh, pile drove Ric Flair onto a table the table didn't even break, but Flair walked around with a neck brace on for a month. Um, you know, that kind of thing, you know, when uh, the DDT happened uh, to Ricky Steamboat outside the ring, he legit was out. You know, it's those are dangerous moves. You know, chairs used to end matches. Um, obviously, this is going in a totally different direction, but ECW in the 90s killed all that. 
the extreme championship wrestling and the stuff that Moxley fell in love with is what killed the wrestling business, killed those kind of finishers. You know, I, I'll say one of the best finishes I've seen recently, and that happened actually this week, was AEW. They brought back time limits, and there was actually a draw. Like, it was so compelling. Like, well, it, it meant something. I was going to bring that up, and that's at the end. I have it listed. It literally in my notes says, bonus conversation. So put a pin in that, because I was going to bring, I was going to bring something up that was going along with the the uh, the kayfabe like the the neck brace when Andy Kaufman fought Jerry Lawler like completely different worlds like you had Lawler and you had uh, Andy Kaufman coming on the show they were going back and forth he did the pile driver to him and then Kaufman went into his own world into the comedy realm into everything still wearing the neck brace like that's the power of professional wrestling people want to believe it's real yeah and you know that's that's the whole thing, you know, McMahon, when he, you know, said it wasn't real and just so he didn't have to pay licensing fees uh, do the um, states still had these sports uh, groups there. Um, and then all of a sudden, Paulie took it to the next level with ECW, with the chairs and all that kind of thing, and just kept exposing it. You know, it's, well, who was it? LaParca, the chairman of the uh, Luchadors in WCW, smacking people with chairs all the time like it was nothing. It was, it's as, like... A chair nowadays is as devastating as an eye rake. Like Agreed. you feel it for a minute and then it's done. So talking about the deathmatch stuff, wrapping back around Moxley, do you think in his near future, is he going to get another push in AEW for the world championship? Or do you think he's probably going to be used in New Japan and pushed through their new American promotion, New Japan Strong? Do you feel like he's going to be used there, utilized more, where he has more of a following with that brand? Because right now, that style of wrestling is more over in Japan than it is here. People love deathmatch wrestling, but Japan really loves deathmatch wrestling. Yeah, and I think that's a better fit for him. I don't think I don't see him ever being the top guy in AEW anymore, um, especially with the group that you've got in there. You know, you've you've got Punk, you've got Brian Danielson, or what Daniel Bryanson, or whatever his name is now. Um, You've got Bray Wyatt possibly coming in. Um, you know, I just don't see Ambrose or Moxley getting to that level again. Um, I think Tony Khan is smart enough to realize that he, he's got better guys now um, than what Moxley was. Yeah, Moxley was a great find for the beginning of this whole thing, just like Lex Luger was a great find for the first uh, uh, Monday Night War. But slowly Luger fell behind and never really made it at that top level again. And I think the same thing's going to happen with Moxley. I don't see him ever being at the top. I think the best he'll be able to do is if Bray does come to AEW and get in a feud with Bray, I think that'll elevate him a little bit, but I don't see him ever getting that world championship again. I think he's got one more championship run in him. And I think it'll be in new Japan because I would really like to see him work with Will Ospreay because Osprey is the flying, flippy, you know, gymnastic-y kind of stuff. And I feel like that blending well with a good, hard brawler-style run in Japan's, like, in that strong-style wrestling, I think it would be a good fit. So I think if he's going to have a title run, I think it's going to be there, and he's going to get pushed in New Japan versus being pushed in AEW. Because you're absolutely right, because rotating into another member of the Wyatt family, Brian Danielson recently debuted, and going back to your point from Dynamite, he had a pure slobber knocker of a match against Kenny Omega. 
no denying that at all. So let's start there. He is technically a member of the Wyatt family, so it's still on topic. <laughs> very true, very true. So um, that match, I'm not a huge AEW fan. I watched, start, I just turned it on, and I couldn't stop watching it. Um, I didn't even realize 30 minutes had gone by. Like when I heard Justin Roberts say one minute remaining, like I was, I, I was like, I wasn't sure like what he really said. And then I realized what he said when the announcer said it. And I was like, I can't believe I've been watching this for 30 minutes. Like it was purely entertaining. Um, that's probably the best I've ever seen Omega work. Um, he didn't do all his flashy, weird stuff. The I know other podcasters say jazz hands um, that he does, but he like that match like that that took me back to nwa 80s professional wrestling you know they when they came out of that you could see they were in a fight their chests were red they were worn out you could tell or you could feel that these two guys wanted to beat each other and they did it reminded me of dragon off and uh walter because when those two guys finished their match at takeover uh, they were both, you could see they were chopped to death. And when Omega and Brian Danielson finished this match, it was the same way. You could see them wearing the stripes from their match. They both were landing flush. They were both telling a good story. They were both letting the other guy get over, which I think is important. But long-term storytelling-wise, you're absolutely right. This was the best thing booking-wise to do was to let this match finish in a draw. Because if it doesn't, if one person wins or the other, it does it it almost kills the story then because if Omega wins clean, he wins clean. What Brian Danielson moves to the back of the line, right? Now, if Brian Danielson wins, then it's like, oh man, he's the guy to dethrone Omega. You almost feel like you have to push him to the belt. A true draw is a very old school booking way to do it with Tony Khan at the helm, who's only been booking professional wrestling for two years. So he's either finally starting to listen to some of the guys in his locker room who are telling him what to do, or he's starting to, to rewatch some old good wrestling and being like, okay, maybe these are some of the things we could work in. Yeah. Well, you know, look at what he's, what he came from to where he is now, like Tony Khan. Um, he was originally surrounded by, you know, Omega, the Bucks, uh, Cody, all guys that never made it in the big show, WWE. Wait a they second. were big. You, but, but they, they, you did have Jericho. He did. Have he had Jericho. Jericho. He had Jericho and he had Jr. Sure. But now, now look who he's added. He's got Mark Henry. How he's got Big but Show. Now, though. But like huh? Jericho and Jr. That's a pretty two. Like for you to say, but now, like those are two. Without a doubt, Jericho will go to the Hall of Fame. There's no arguing. He's the all-time leader in uh, Intercontinental Championship reigns. He's an NA, he was an AEW Heavyweight Champion. Like he's been a New Japan Heavyweight Champion. He's got gimmicks galore. Like the man will be a champion. Plus you got jr and jr goes without speaking he ran vince's creative like or uh, the talent relations thing forever he was triple h back in the day to make sure the talent was handled they were wrangled in they were taken care of like those were two pretty solid guys to have in your corner but i don't disagree they have moved forward now and they have a lot better guys so uh, yeah you, you know you got you have them you've got arn you've got tully you know um you know again you got big show you got mark henry um, Christian's there now, great mind for the business. Um, you know, Matt Hardy, you've got all these WWE guys. I think the one thing that Khan's got to be careful about is not falling into the WCW trap of putting all the top WWE guys 
over all his guys and making them, you know, as soon as they come in, they take the championships. And I think that match with Brian uh, Danielson was smart because of the draw, because if he would have just come in and won, then that's just a WWE guy flattening, flattening the biggest AEW produced guy that they got. Um, you know, Punk, I like what Punk is doing. The fact that Punk is not going after all their top guys, he's going after these mid-card guys, and he's he's making them, like, he's winning, but he's making them all better just by being in the ring with them. He's putting them over. Absolutely, I agree. So just out of curiosity, there were two big names that I just thought of that you left off to your list that were people that were in Tony Khan's ears. One is Sting, and the other is Jake the Snake Roberts. Any reason specifically you left both of those guys off your list, just out of curiosity? Yeah, I know um, you as a wrestling fan, so I'm curious to, to see how you respond to that. I don't think Sting has a great mind for the business. Well, he's a I don't, worker. Yeah, I, I don't think, you know, he didn't lead any of the matches with Ric Flair. No. Ric Flair led those matches, you know. 100%. So, the Hogan match, Hogan led that match. Um, he did? Yeah. So I don't think any good match that Sting's ever had is because of Sting. I think it's because of who he's working with. Jake Roberts, I think no matter how clean Jake is or anything like that, I'm not bashing him. I wouldn't trust that guy to walk my dog, <laughs> let alone run my company or help me run my company. Because so, he, he, he's, he's allegedly done enough drugs and alcohol in his life that the guy's brain can't all be there. And you can barely hear him when he speaks anymore. Like he, I, know he always, I know he has a reputation for talking low. Because he says if you talk low, people have to listen. Yeah. But it sounds like he's like smokes like a like pack of like marbles before any time he goes out there to do an interview. Let's also not forget that he is uh, known for many stories floating around, both uh, with people who were there and people who said they were there. He is apparently known for drinking his own urine. He's done that before in the locker room to kind of a a certain dominance, I guess. I don't know what the hell he was doing with that, but apparently that was a thing. I've heard that story floating around on a few other podcasts with people that have been interviewed about him. Um, so I was thinking about it while you were saying what you were saying about Sting, not being a good worker. I know you're less than a huge fan of Bret Hart. You and I have very different, uh, like different views on who Hart is as a person and who he is as a, as a world champion, as a worker in the ring. I think he's one of the greatest of all time. You told me in a previous podcast episode that he only had five real moves and he just wasn't all that. So I think ironically, we're both wearing Bret Hart shirts. I know. I, I, well, I was going to bring it up. I've got my Hart foundation shirt on for you, but I was also thinking about the fact that you don't like Bret Hart, who I think is an amazing wrestler. My unpopular opinion is stink. I don't think Sting's a good worker. I never did as a kid when he was young. I never did when he was, you know, first coming up, like California Sting, when he first come out of, uh, he was at the AWA. Was that right? Where he was at before he got signed with Mid-South. Uh, or Mid-South, rather, yeah. Yeah, when UWF. He, uh, when he was there before he got moved over there and uh, he signed with WCW and he had the feud with Flair and all of that. Like, I knew when he was then, I still was just like, this guy, and I don't want to lump him into it because, uh, you know, the ultimate warrior gets a really bad rap. Uh, Helwig was a jerk. He said a lot of really messed up things. Like I won't even go into who the ultimate warrior was, but I almost feel like Sting gets lumped in there because they came up at the same time. Sting was that guy. He was a bodybuilder. He was a big dude at the gym. And they even say in one of the, the biographies that came out last year that Sting was just one of the four biggest dudes at the gym that they wanted to use to be professional wrestlers. 
Yeah, like, Power Team Power Team USA out of California. Yeah, they uh, they both. Yeah, that, that was their that was their original moniker before they became the Blade Runners. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they 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 trained together. Um, they came up together. Um, the only thing you could say is Warrior had a bigger ego than what Sting did, um, and felt like he was better than what he was. Where Sting, I guess, at least was smart enough to realize that he wasn't good, and that he couldn't do what Warrior was attempting to do because they were too young and they were too young in the business. I don't want to say that they're the same person and I'm not at all saying who I'm about to bring up is a comparison to warrior. Okay. But warrior was known for not being a fan of wrestling. He wanted to make money. So he wasn't a professional wrestling fan. He was there because he was big, he could strong and he could manhandle people. Do you see comparisons between him and Brock Lesnar and the fact that Lesnar has been notoriously known for saying he doesn't like wrestling. He's not a wrestling guy like all of that, but he'll come into the ring because he gets the paycheck? Um, no, because Brock is a natural athlete where Warrior isn't a natural athlete. You know, he's, he's, I'd say Warrior's athletic. At least he looked like, he looks like an athlete. He looked like an athlete. Um, but, you know, naturally he wasn't. You know, Brock, Brock is an NCAA world champion. Um, he tried out for the Minnesota Vikings, never playing football except for in middle school didn't play football all of high school and tried out for the Minnesota Vikings and made it to the last cut. He went to the UW or the UFC and takes their championship. Like the guy puts his mind to something and he does it. And, you know, you look at Brock, you know, even though he's a part-time guy, he's been doing professional wrestling. He's been involved for like 22, 23 years. Like it's amazing to think how long his actual span of his career is gone. Um, I think his dislike of wrestling really comes more of the fact he doesn't like people. Um, from what I understand, if you listen to time on his farm. Yeah. Yeah. If you listen to Cornette talk about him and the developmental thing, all he wanted to do was get on TV, start making the money. But I think part of that is that competitive edge. You know, when, when you put him in that match against Kurt Angle, he, he dug it, you know, he, he, it's somebody that he could work with. He could play off of, and he knew that, you know, they could have a really great match or great show. I think when you give him the right opponent, then Brock's into it. And a good example in this conversation, they gave him Dean Ambrose and he wasn't into it. And you could tell in the match he wasn't into it. Um, I think Roman Reigns brings something out in him to where he does get that passion. He does want to do well. He wants to do have a good match. Um, another guy that I'm sure we're going to talk about is Seth Rollins. Brock wanted to have a good match with Seth Rollins and he did. So I think it's really who they booked Brock with. And at this point in time with Brock, he can pretty much say who he wants to go with and who he doesn't. So using that as a segue, he's coming into Reigns. So let's talk about Reigns and his universal title run. He's coming up on a year or just past a year. My times are off. I know he's close. He's well over 300 days. Do you think, uh, somebody like a Lesnar coming in is something that he needs for his title run? Or do you think like, because he's got the demon, we're recording this tonight on Sunday, uh, so Extreme Rules is starting and starting shortly, and uh, he'll be going against the demon. So we don't, I don't want this to be a prediction, but do you think that somebody like the demon and then somebody like Brock Lesnar or what it's going to take to prevent Reigns' title run from becoming stale? Do you think introducing these new characters and introducing these new programs are going to be what does it takes to get him to stretch? Because everybody's talked about Rock Reigns at WrestleMania next year. Like that's been a, yeah. a big rumor. 
Yeah, you know, um, one is I don't – here's a prediction. There's no chance the Demon's going to win. Um, <laughs> oh, man, you it, mean to tell me they're not going to take the strap off of him? I had it yeah. in my heart. No, of course not. The Demon's – no yeah. way he's going to win. He's and I don't understand. What's the difference between the Demon and Finn Balor other well, than paint? He gets really angry and he takes six hours to put paint on. I cut a promo earlier for a podcast and I brought this up, okay? Prince Devitt, Finn Balor, the demon. I literally said the word, since he got to America and left New Japan, the man has had so many gimmicks. He's been forced to be everybody else except for himself. And that's driving me crazy because Finn Balor is one of my favorite workers in the business. And all they want to do is just tear him around and just keep him pumping and going. Like he's getting mishandled. He's not getting used right. Like I feel like there's no way he's going to dethrone Roman. Why is he not on Monday night against somebody like Big E, somebody he realistically could handle? Because now if somebody who Finn Balor, who weighs, he's got to be, he's in the, uh, the cruiserweight division. He's got to be around 200, 205. Like, he's not a big dude. If somebody like Finn Balor dethrones Reigns after everything he's done, like, what does that make out of his title run? Yeah, and it's not going to happen. There's no chance of it happening. And I know you're a Balor fan. I'm not. I don't see anything really great about Balor at all. Um, I, he's small. Like, I'm probably bigger than the guy, not muscle-wise, but I guarantee if I'm standing next to him, I'm probably just as broad on my shoulders as what he is. I have um, cancer, and I weigh more than Finn Balor. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> that'd be a, that'd be a great T-shirt. <laughs> I, I have cancer, and I still weigh more than Finn Balor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Next time, next time you go to Monday Night Raw, that should be your sign. Yeah, that's that's what I'm gonna do. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I am a fan of Finn Balor. I thought he was great in Japan, and when he got here, I agree. He's been he lost the the initial Universal Title run because of his injury. But I think had he been able to get that push then, he would be a different Finn Balor now. I think going back to NXT kind of let him regroup and re-find out who he is as a character because this version of Prince Finn Balor is the closest to Prince Devitt that we've had since he's been in America. Yeah, I think that I thought NXT was a good fit for him. Like, the guys down there are smaller. Mm-hmm. Like, he looked competitive in NXT. Um, I don't think on the main roster when he goes against somebody like Big E – or goes against a Roman Reigns, I don't see him as viable. I don't see him as viable, you know. And I guess, I guess, devil's advocate, you could say, well, when Big Show goes out there against somebody, then Big Show should win every time. But he doesn't, obviously. So, you know, I, I guess, I guess it's hit and miss. I guess it's like how you sell it. Like Ricky Morton, for example, could win against the big guy, but he was beat up the entire match. I, I think Balor's got too much offense in his matches. And I think that's why I have trouble believing any of his matches. I think that he gives a different type of storytelling for your fan of professional wrestling, though. You and I are similar, but we're very different in ourselves. We both prefer the old style. We're both big fans of territory wrestling. We're both fans of that style, like pre-1995, you know, like almost like Crockett Promotions pre-Turner buyout, like getting it even into the 80s with the kind of wrestling you and I watch. But I still like that British strong style. I'm a big fan. Walter's one of my favorite guys. Dragunov is one of my favorite guys. Balor, like this really strong style of wrestling that came out of the British Isles over the last five or 10 years. I'm a big fan of that because in my, in my opinion, it's still 
catch as catch can style wrestling. Like it's still hard, like in there, in your face, throwing chops, good raw wrestling. But it also gives you a chance to remember what wrestling was truly about because these guys aren't using a bunch of furniture. They're not using chairs. They're not using tables. They still want to wrestle. And I think, yeah, I like how, I like how you stopped. You almost use a word that would have turned that whole argument into a, a bad word now. And that it's hardcore. Yeah. Because you can't say hardcore anymore because you think of these fake chairs and the fake yeah. tables and ECW and all that stuff, you know. But to me, I would I'm not offended by the word hardcore when you talk about people like Terry Funk. Um, you know, the I'll I'll say his name. He used to be he's one of my favorite wrestlers, not people, but wrestlers, Chris Benoit, um, Dean Malenko. That they had hardcore styles. Even Eddie Guerrero, when you watch his stuff in California, even though he's got the flips and stuff like that, it's still pretty hardcore wrestling. Like I remember watching Eddie Guerrero when I was a kid um, at my grandparents' house because they had some weird access thing to a California uh, station. And, you know, those matches, you know, they, they are, they're hardcore. They're, they're, they're the real hardcore before ECW and, um, the hardcore championships and all that other stuff stole stole the name of, or stole the meaning of hardcore. I think that the hardcore title itself would be a better direction they should go if they wanted to, to like the twenty four seven title. Let me start this over, okay? The twenty four seven title was originally the same concept of what the hardcore title was: defended twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. All you had to do as a referee, false count anywhere, you could win the title anywhere. I feel like I would rather have the hardcore title now versus the twenty four seven title. Yeah, any day. Like one, you have Mick Foley introduce the belt, the twenty four seven championship. So everybody right away is assuming it's the hardcore title coming back. Yeah, and this that's disappointment one. Disappointment two is the way the belt looks. And then three is it just becomes a goofball championship. Like when Hardcore Holly had it and the 24-7 funniness started, it's still, it was funny but entertaining. Now it's like, uh, who's the guy with, that used to have the conga line, that the dancing and all that kind of stuff? Like, it feels like that. Like it just, you got all your mid-carters. Like when you know a guy is getting ready to get termed or get fired from WWE, you see them in that line. And it was a shame because I, I didn't see it, but I've heard now Jeff Hardy is part of that 24-7 championship um, title picture. And he's think, one of the guys running after them. I think Hardy's going to get a push. I think, and this will be my prediction, and I might eat these words later. This tweet might not age well, as the kids say. I think Hardy might be in the process of getting pushed into the U.S. title run because they're about to finish out his contract and he's going to leave. And he's pretty much all but guaranteed in AEW when his contract expires because they want to bring the Willow character out. AEW is the only chance he'll have to actually use that gimmick. So I think it's all but said when his WWE contract is up, he's going to AEW. So I think that that right there is it. So I feel like they might be getting ready to give him one more good push before he's finished up. Right. So yeah, um, I, I think at least they're, they're going to push him hard enough to where then they can beat him. And then, you know, when he goes to AEW, um, I guess like what Ole Anderson said about Ric Flair, he's damaged goods when he lost to, uh, when Flair lost to Mr. Perfect on uh, Monday Night Raw. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Uh, let's wrap this around. We got one more guy to touch base on that's left from the Wyatt Shield uh, reunion. Um, let's talk about Seth Rollins real quick before we wrap up. Do you think he's just kind of treading water right now? Is he waiting for yeah. another run or do you think they're out of options with him right now? 
I think his only option is going against Reigns. I think that's the only way he's going to be a, a viable player again. Um, you know, the thing with Edge is is what it is. Um, but I don't. I'm not even watching WWE much anymore. Like I'm, I'm listening to the you know different people's podcasts for um, you know listening to what the shows were all about. But um, to me, Rollins hasn't been anything exciting or anything for for a long time, and I think he really lost a lot um, when he lost the belt the last time. And he's just kind of been on this downward spiral. Like I thought the, um, the Monday night Messiah had potential because he, he can talk, you know, he can do that, but they just, they, when he had the group, when he had a, what was it? Uh, Isaac and Yankum. Yeah, it was, uh, no, it was Buddy Murphy and it was, uh, the APA, the authors of not APA, it was the authors of pain AOP. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I, I thought that had a good nucleus. I thought that had a, that was a good group. But when AOP can't stay healthy, you know, they, they injure their quads worse than uh, Kevin Nash does uh, just yeah, by walking. Worse than, worse than Vince McMahon sliding into the ring at the Rumble, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, Twitter, Kevin Nash actually banned me for making a quad joke one time. Really? Yeah, yeah. I got the, the Botch Spots uh, Twitter is banned by uh, Ryback. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, that was that um, was our first big band. We got uh, we got blocked by uh, that was our first professional wrestler to block us was Ryback. <laughs> nice. What was his name? What was his name in uh, NXT or I Nexus? Uh, I don't think. Ryback. Oh, Skip 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 Sheffield. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you got blocked by Skip Sheffield. Yeah, I did. And now we're now we're talking about Husky Harris going to AEW. Husky Harris versus Skip Sheffield. I'm booking it 2021. <laughs> yeah, but the problem is you won't be able to invite Skip because you've been banned. That's true. I won't be able to send him an offer because he has no idea. All right. Yeah. Um, I feel like Rollins is treading water. I don't feel like he's in a position to be pushed. I think he could be a viable intercontinental champion right now. He's got to move on from this delirious character that he's got going, this baked potato look where he's wearing the ridiculous suits. That's not his gimmick. Give me back my burn it down, King Slayer, Beast Slayer, Seth Rollins. Give me Rollins in the the Night King gear from uh, WrestleMania where he's got the blue eyes. Like, give me a good, hard Rollins. I want to get away from this crazy. He's good on the mic, but he's not great. I just feel like he's he's showing his own weaknesses in the ring, and he's not really having a chance to, like, do anything. He's just – he's talking in circles. He's moving around. Like, I just don't really care for it. And then his in-ring work's not great because he's working with a broken character like Edge. I love Edge. Uh, you know, Adam Copeland's a great worker. He's been amazing his entire career, but the man's broken. He's got a rough neck. It's hard for him to really like push too hard. So I feel like because of that, with the 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 program he's in, he's just kind of stagnant right now. A winded way of saying Rollins just isn't going anywhere. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, if you want to see, um, you know, harder Rollins, I think there's some photos out there on the internet uh, you can check know. out whatever of course your brain would go there so uh your girl Liv morgan um so mm. pretty much through the wyatt let's let me let me ask you this i see your face you're so you i've never i know you and if there was a person that could check all of the boxes that is bobby mack Liv morgan is that person do you think she, yes, she uh, is if she gets over tonight do you think she makes a run for the smackdown title yeah i think so i think um I don't want to say, I hate when people say this, but I think she deserves it. I think she's been working really hard to the fact that, you know, she's building up a good reputation on the internet. Like she's getting internet support. She's getting a lot of people behind her on the internet. Um, 
which sometimes is a, you know, either make you or break you in the WWE. Um, I think her in-ring work is the best it's ever been, which isn't saying, you know, that she's Luthez, but I think she's come a long way. And I think um, her interview skills have gotten better uh, with losing the riot squad around her. Um, you know, she's really, she really is coming on her own. And I think it's kind of showing that maybe being in the riot squad, she was, she was okay being the third banana. Um, but now that she's actually being allowed to show off and be out there. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think that she did, uh, deserves a shot. Who says third banana? Really? What does that even mean? Uh, you never heard grow monsoon. He says third banana. No, he's dead. <laughs> God, I hate you, Bobby, so much. Okay. Um, all right. I've got it. I've got to tell you. Um, tell me the news you heard today. I got to get this on there. Oh, that, uh, <laughs> that, uh, John Cena was found unconscious and brought to the hospital. Yeah, that's what you were telling me. What about it? Yeah, it was crazy because uh, I guess when he came to, he looked at the nurse and asked uh, where he was. And she said the ICU. And he looked at her and he goes, you can't see me. God, I hate you so much. God, <laughs> all right, Bobby Mag, uh, plug your stuff. Tell all of our guys where they can find you. Yeah, go to TikTok. You can check out the Yellow Shoe Guy. There's roller coasters. Uh, I just added dogs to the mix. Um, me walking around with one yellow shoe, sometimes two, crazy enough. Uh, talking about coasters, talking about fun, just being stupid in Tampa. That's what I'm good at. I love it, Bobby. I appreciate you, buddy. As always, I'm going to hop off here, go watch some Extreme Rules, and uh, try to see if uh, WWE puts me to sleep before 11 o'clock. All right. Sounds great. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Bubba. I'll see you soon. All right. Later. Bye. Now as we close another episode of Botch Bots and Chair Shots, I'd like to take this chance to thank you for listening. Remind you to go to wherever you pick up your favorite podcast, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Jeez, so many options. Take a moment to like, subscribe, unsubscribe, then subscribe again. Leave a comment telling us how great we are or how terrible we sound. Either way, it helps the algorithm and gets to find new listeners. It helps to get our word out there. Make sure to follow us at Botch Spots and Share Shots on Twitter and Instagram. I am your host, The Will Gray, and thanks for stopping by and listening, my people.